This is the Energizing India podcast. Welcome to the Energizing India podcast, a program that focuses on the energy transition sector, particularly hydrogen and electric vehicle mobility. Hydrogen is considered a energy source, particularly for mobility around the world. Yet hydrogen actually derives from solar or wind or wave energy in its green form and can be more than just mobility. It can be about the energy transition in static energy, decarbonizing large manufacturing processes that require gas in their furnaces, such as steel, cement, paper, and can be about energy independence, particularly for countries like India. So today we change tack and we come back to the hydrogen sector, speaking to Siddharth Mayur, founder and CEO of H2E Power. Siddharth is the founder of H2E Power, a name derived from Hydrocarbon to Energy, a company which positions itself as India's first green energy electrolyzer and fuel cell company with operations in India, Germany and the United States of America. Siddharth, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ravin. It's an energizing day, I must say. It's, it's a very, uh, actually a wonderful day here uh, in Pune, but uh, energizing because there's a lot happening in the hydrogen space and we're happy to talk to you today. That's exactly why we're here and we're, we're, we're privileged to have you in our team of studios in Pune. Um, so that first up, I want to talk to you about uh, an interesting question that our research team put together. Our team actually looked at um, internet searches for hydrogen um, starting from 2010 to the present day. And they found that there was very little uh, being searched in hydrogen from 2010 to 2021, in fact, even through the lockdown. And that became 5x in 2022 and then another 5x in 2023. Yet you have been in hydrogen since 2010. And um, I want to understand what gives. Were, you know, were you the only mad scientist in the industry at that time? Why did you focus on hydrogen way before people even knew it was anything but a gas you saw in the, in the chemical lab in school? Well, I always say this, that uh, hydrogen happened to me. I did not happen to hydrogen. And while we were working on our fuel cell product, uh, we realized that uh, the stack that we developed on the solid oxide fuel cells is actually a reversible stack. So if I put in electricity, then I might get hydrogen on the outside. I would say a eureka moment for me because, you know, till then I had not known that something can uh, be so simple, you know, in terms of the reversibility. And uh, that kind of opened up uh, the hydrogen story for us. And uh, uh, of course, uh, we realized that uh, what we are getting into is something so big that uh, we've not thought about when we started uh, uh, H2E as a company. And nor did we have the resources to look at hydrogen. Because if you're looking at fuel, uh, the idea of fuel always uh, comes from the Middle East or the people, the oligarchs of the world rather, you know. You need deep pockets to get into fuel as a subject. But uh, uh, when I went deeper into the electrolyzer space uh, on the solid oxide, and then, of course, we researched alkaline and PEM, uh, we saw that uh, this has a potential to transform our world and uh, transform our world more in the sense of rural India and agriculture. The reason why I started H2E, to you know, provide energy independence to the farmer, and if we are able to bring distributed uh, technologies, if you're able to produce hydrogen on site or if you're able to produce derivatives of hydrogen on site from the farm to fork, we will be able to revolutionize the entire value chain. 
So that gave way to uh, that resolve that we will move ahead with hydrogen, not knowing what the future was, not knowing where the money is going to come from. And then uh, I had a very interesting interaction with somebody in New Delhi. And uh, this gentleman heard me out and he said that uh, he applauded my vision, my efforts. But he said that you're a young boy. You're wasting too much of your time on this. <laughs> it is going to be at least 2050 before uh, the world can see what you're doing. So. Uh, it's a good story to you know uh, romanticize about but uh, not something to put money on and that meeting in new delhi furthered my resolve that we should do this and then i told my colleague who had come with me that uh, this person i would thank him 10 years from now and we've actually done that you know i've had a dj vu moment with that person mm. a couple of years back so you know that's how uh, uh, i got into this uh, process it was never thought about I never planned for this, but uh, when it happened, I did not say no. Uh, and in my organization or personally in life, saying no is considered to be a crime. So therefore, you know, if that opportunity comes, take it up and then try and uh, do justice with that opportunity. So um, you talked about um, the fact that if you want to be in the fuel business, you've got to be an oligarch, true, because, you know, you have to invest hundreds of billions of dollars really to be able to control the molecule. Um, there's two questions going through my head here. The first is, um, let's talk about what hydrogen does to allow economies such as India to deliver themselves from the tyranny of the hydrocarbon molecule, not being reliant on hydrocarbons, but actually being able to generate your own energy through hydrogen. And then I want to talk about um, how you don't need to be an oligarch to actually succeed in the hydrogen business, because that's a question well worth probing. But first, let's talk about this ability to deliver from the Gulf and deliver from geopolitical issues around the world and how hydrogen allows us to do that. Uh, see, we uh, often do not realize what we are blessed with. We never look at, we always look at uh, the grass on the other side, which is greener. But uh, if you look at India as a country, uh, we are specially endowed maybe God uh, chose India to be uh, specially endowed, uh, not only in terms of population, which we call as a curse, I take it as a big asset, but here is a country where you have minimum 300 days of good sunshine, you have good wind, you have a beautiful coastal line, uh, you have uh, good weather, you have good rivers, you have ample amount of rain. Name one country which has all of this, and one country which be self-sufficient on food if the world locks you out. So therefore we are blessed and when you're talking about hydrogen and how uh, this can change India uh, is uh, we can literally go on a distributed scale you know, where we are sitting right now you just you know use the sun power of the sun or the wind produce hydrogen here and your entire facility can be independent of the grid. So whatever we have as a course uh, is an opportunity for us and with the way technologies that have developed now uh, we have the chance to jump on technologies uh, remember what happened in 94 uh, when mobile came into india uh, we directly went into digital tele uh, uh, mobility whereas the united states were still on analog and you know they they went uh, digital uh, in the early part of 2000 so that's an advantage that we have that uh, we do not have any legacy systems and uh, we are not looking at hydrogen as a way only to decarbonize uh, see the European uh, countries or the Western world for that matter, uh, they are looking at decarbonizing because uh, they have uh, in their quest to become more industrialized, uh, they have emitted more carbon than what they should have. 
probably they were not so aware of at that point in time but now that awareness has come they are investing into technologies but in india it is more the bread and butter uh, not the icing on the cake or the cheese so we are looking at growing as a uh, country our per capita energy consumption is 2.4 kwh uh, uh, per capita in urban and about 0.7 per kw uh, per capita in rural mm-hmm. and the world average is about 5 so if i am to be a 5 trillion economy or even uh, closer to a 5 trillion we need to con- consume at least 4 kilowatt hour of uh, electricity mm-hmm. uh, how do you do that so you know, either you burn a lot of coal or then you look at the renewable technologies and again renewable technologies are not 24/7 so coming back to you know the vision statement with which i started my work is to provide 24 by 7 clean green reliable and affordable energy for all and hydrogen is that one molecule which is able to deliver that on a distributed scale so you can have a single home you can have a factory you can have a farm everybody can deploy these technologies without relying on the grid and that's why i think uh, hydrogen will play a major role in transformation of india from a developing country to a developed country So let's talk a little bit about the use case for hydrogen because uh, you know for the benefit of most of our listeners who have seen uh, discussions about electric vehicles uh, here we're talking beyond just mobility of course there is a mobility application for hydrogen and it's probably related to your your own use case on distance travel and things like that but beyond mobility hydrogen can be used for many things uh, and you've you've talked about disconnected off grid small communities which I'll get to next but can you talk a little bit about what are the applications for hydrogen Uh, in the energy mix i think the first application that comes to mind other than the distributed microgrids or mini grids that uh, i uh, spoke about uh, is using hydrogen as a basic building block to build a lot of uh, biofuels so, you know we're talking about this grand biofuel alliance that was uh, launched at the sidelines of g20 in new delhi uh, a couple of weeks back Uh, so hydrogen and carbon they are the basic building blocks so if i am able to capture carbon which is available in plenty in india mm-hmm. and if uh, uh, green hydrogen is also uh, part of the play we will be able to provide uh, biofuels especially to the hard to abate industries like aviation or shipping uh, or even the uh, industries like cement or steel that you mentioned earlier uh, and this i think uh, is a game changer in 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 that sense which uh, bringing to your question on how do we get uh, uh, ourselves more and more independent how do we you know uh, uh, stop our vulnerability on uh, the global fuel uh, story uh, so this is important uh, the other part of course is uh, the farm to fork value chain which uh, in my opinion is a very very important value chain for india and also for the world uh i'll just throw in some numbers we talk about 118 million farmers who have land holdings less than 2 hectares and if these become productive they can produce food grain which is equivalent to two times what the world needs so we're talking about a revolution of sorts but today they are very vulnerable and they are also not productive because of their energy story and if you are able to solve this energy puzzle for them Uh, we are talking about not only saving on uh, water we are talking about increasing the soil fertility we are talking about increasing productivity we are talking about 118 million small scale enterprises getting developed in this country just imagine what revolution that can happen so this is another very important use case so bringing all of this together it is the microgrid 
know end of the day whether you look at producing biofuels mm-hmm. or you look at producing electricity it is these microgrids that uh, we hybridize either with a solar battery and a fuel cell using hydrogen or uh, using a biogas or using a methanol or using kerosene all of these derived out of hydrogen as the base you know? that, that, that's how i see things moving so sid we've talked about um delivering uh, india in 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 independence energy independence let's talk a little bit about techs you, you did mention alkaline pam soec there's also aem you've in fact done all of the techs so there's one company that's done everything you've done it all um for the benefit of our listeners can we um go over a high level description of what these different technologies are and what's the best use case application for each of these technologies uh let me use a different example there is a grandfather in the house there is a father in the house and there's a new kid on the block uh so we start with alkaline which is the grandfather of uh, technologies and therefore carrying a wealth of experience uh, just like a grandfather and uh, therefore the most inexpensive you know that's how that generation also was uh but because of age they also become more and more ineffective in terms of you know the performance in terms of the time that they can provide Uh, so efficiency wise uh, alkaline is the least uh, experience and cost wise it is the best uh, then we get into uh, the pem family so pem is a technology which uh, covers up a lot of uh, defects i would not use the word defects but a lot of uh, pitfalls that alkaline technology had uh, in terms of the space in terms of the efficacy or efficiencies and uh, uh, that became the emerging technology of uh, uh, the last 10 years or 12 years you could say and then it is the new age so you know the new kid kids on the block belong to the alkaline family uh, so what people also did was innovators in the world uh, they genetically cloned uh, the pem and alkaline technologies and they produced a child uh, which is aem so you're basically taking best of alkaline best of pem without using the platinum or iridium for instance Uh, and uh, produce a technology which uh, can uh, take care of dynamic uh, requirements uh, starting from a small 1 kg per day going up to you know several tons within the al- alkaline family there is another uh, new entrant which is amse which is uh, alkaline membrane solid electrolyzer uh, i would call uh, aem and amse kind of uh, twins you know they just born 10 seconds after each other Uh, so both of them are similar they take uh, a lot from the parent the alkaline basic technology and uh, both of them are a big challenger to pem i would say you know in terms of uh, the future that they hold uh, and once they industrialize uh, we will see where they go on the cost uh, at least as far as my research goes they will be able to match alkaline or maybe better alkaline even on the capex side and the last is the solid oxide uh, electrolyzer which uh, is the most expensive kid on the block so you know the, the last child in the house always is very expensive uh, so the Are expensive you the last child in the house yes i am <laughs> <laughs> uh, so expensive kid but uh, very very efficient so you're looking at uh, 90% plus efficiencies and uh, uh, the material that is uh, used in a solid oxide uh, gives it that edge or that potential to become very very inexpensive so if you're looking at the future you're looking at 3 4 years down the road i wouldn't be surprised if we are able to produce a solid oxide electrolyzer in the 10% cost uh, vicinity of alkaline 
and the day we are able to do that uh, we will uh, be talking about a big uh, disruption in in the space uh, however i would still maintain that there is, there is no technology which is the holy grail of the electrolyzer space because every technology is good for a particular application if you look at uh, applications where space is not a problem uh, there uh, the alkaline technologies uh, can work very well there are technologies where uh, you need smaller numbers or you need distributed scale so the aem can come in you look at technologies where you're looking at coelectrolysis there the solid oxide is the only technology doing that to produce syn gas uh, or to have a base load where you need higher efficiencies so uh, i think it is an evolu- evolutionary process uh, the reason we also invested in all the four technologies is because we wanted to serve the customers and uh, i always say that saying no is a crime so you know you, you cannot tell the customer i do not have this nor do you want to load a customer with a technology which is not relevant to them uh, so right now let us give them what you know they would need and in the next 3 4 years whichever technology survives or whichever prospers we will already be in the game so that was kind of a mixed uh, mixed bag strategy and uh, there's another uh, area which is the waste to hydrogen so that's an, again uh, something uh, people don't like to talk about garbage you know with uh, it's not the most sophisticated business but i think in terms of the cost uh, waste has the greatest potential if you are able to get good quality waste mm-hmm. if you are able to get sustainable amount of waste and then hybridize again so, you know i use this word hybrid uh, a lot many times and and that really defines where this whole story is moving because if i can bring a water electrolyzer and a waste plant together then the net cost of hydrogen that comes out will be in the range of 1 and a half to 2 dollars and that will be very aggressive so with the water electrolysis you are able to give a sustainable product where you are not relying on a third party that is the waste and in terms of waste you are able to give something really cheap and uh, if you look at the population of india on an average uh, uh, urban indian produces at least 5 kgs of waste you talk about 140 crore indians just imagine the amount of hydrogen or amount of uh, biofuel that we can produce so these two technologies uh, if you don't consider them as competitors and actually work with them uh, we will be able to uh, bring out uh, a very aggressive product in the market so waste generating energy to split water into hydrogen exactly the problem with that for me is the is the whole waste collection and waste management part in india which is really done by the public sector or the municipality and therefore because it's the local municipal government or even at a smaller level than that can be prone to inefficiencies corruption uh, and then access to that for companies such as yourselves who want to change the world and do it quickly uh, can be difficult how do you see that evolving um because really you need you know to get anything done you need to start at the policy level right and then policy regulation finally capital investment and then and then the change so that policy level needed to change 70 years ago it's it's quite a big ask i think the policies are changing uh, uh, of course not at the speed at which we would desire them to change but uh, at least the will of the policy makers is in the right place uh, i would you know uh, give credit on that uh, the implementation always is the big challenge but uh, what is happening now is uh, the model of public private partnerships and 
even for these municipalities who are more than happy if you take the waste that they have because that is becoming an eyesore and in the uh, twitter world that we live in anybody sees anything on the road and there is a picture and that goes viral or the whatsapp university or you know whatever we the social medias so that is playing an important role for the policy makers also to be very alert uh because end of the day they have to go uh, uh, ask votes uh, every 5 years any which ways uh, and the population that is uh, the highest population in the voting uh, age uh, is the young population and and they need results as on yesterday or maybe day before yesterday unlike the generation of our parents or even our generation we are still okay with things uh, taking time if you know if you have garbage lying yeah yeah we we've got a lot of patience and sometimes that works against us uh, but uh, policy wise there's definitely lot to be done but uh, the good news is that uh, the will is in the right place the people are thinking right and i hope that uh, we'll be able to implement it in a better manner and uh, one of the key uh, ways to implement it is if we as citizens of the country uh, do not look for the government to do everything you know there's a problem that i always say in india is we have 330 million gods so for everything we we want help of god so we have to help ourselves if if we need the government to help us we need to also help ourselves so the code kennedy ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your absolutely, country absolutely absolutely um said you talked you had a number there dollar to dollar 50 a kg so the the, the present costs are about 7 somewhere between $5 and $7 based on your tech size economy you know geography and things like that um in fact it gets a little bit higher in india because we have to, we have to import everything and we're not at the scale where 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 it can be at that level The European Union has a stated policy to have hydrogen generated at $2.50 a kg by the end of this decade, end of 2030. And then the big boys in India, particularly Reliance came out and said their targets to make it at $1.50 by the end of this decade. So it was $1 or 1.50. Was it $1? Yeah. Okay. So well, there you go. Even even more guess it make it $1, yeah, 80 80 rupees a kg uh, by the end of this decade. Um I'm assuming that that requires scale. um you know you need you need massive investment in a technology that gives you scale and then there's transportation that you add to that uh, from there so you're really you know these are big hubs following the old hydrocarbon model which is one big refinery or one big generation center yet you're on the other extreme right uh, your company has uh, committed to setting up a 1 gigawatt uh, electrolyzer manufacturing capacity in jalgaon you're starting with 50 megawatt you're backed by the punawalas of serum institute but there are two complete ends of the spectrum you've got this massive big boy scale of the adanis and manis heading for $1 and then you've got entrepreneurs such as yourselves with passion drive vision um and a willingness to make things happen but at a completely different scale disconnected small scale off grid Um do you think that there is a risk because when I look at this there's many things that worry about worry me about hydrogen but one of them is the investment is going either in the massive big end or in the ultra small end and we have this big valley of opportunities in the middle which nobody's looking at nobody's addressing but I'm particularly worried for companies such as yourselves are you going to be at risk from this massive adani ambani investment globally to bring it down to a dollar Well I look at it uh, in a different way actually with the big boys getting into the game the game really becomes a game mm. you know so when I was uh, working on this since 2009 uh, 
uh, very few people knew about it. Uh, you heard Mukesh Ambani speak about 111, and that's when that 5x Google search uh, on hydrogen began. Happened exactly. Uh, so I think it is very important for company like these uh, to uh, not only talk big, but uh, also to implement things on the ground. And if you look at uh, the work that all of these uh, companies, whether it's Reliance or Adani's or Jindal's or whoever, uh, they're doing fundamental work and really good work into this space. And uh, on the other end of the spectrum are companies like ours, which are more in a startup phase, which are more in a pre-industrialized phase. And that gives us that agility uh, to uh, bring technology uh, on a cheaper scale. Now, I'll give you some examples. People always say that uh, the cost of electrolyzer will come down only if you get volume. Mm. Uh, and uh, we have uh, put a roadmap that even without the volumes uh, at current pricing today, we'll be able to bring down the cost by about 30 percent. Uh, only by engineering. So we are looking at uh, going deeper and deeper into the value chain. We are looking at developing localized ecosystem. Uh, we are looking at uh, a very interesting area where we get into the powder chemistry and uh, trying to find materials which are available in India, which have a similar quality. Take zirconia, for example. We are trying to find an alternate to zirconia, which is abundantly available in India. Uh, take uh, nephion for example or, or you know the nickel uh, coating that you do on alkaline uh, so all of these uh, we are trying to localize not trying to we are working on localizing and once we are able to do this the cost of uh, the electrolyzer as it stands today uh, will come down at least by 30 percent and then uh, you get into the volume game and you know then uh, it comes down so what the big boys are doing is they are trying to become the oligarchs of the gas world. So, you know, they, they're trying to control hydrogen. They, they're trying the to molecule. own the molecule. Uh, what we are doing is uh, create the ecosystem or uh, produce those electrolyzers which will produce that molecule. And in between, you mentioned about the valley that exists. So that is the valley where you look at the smaller business opportunities, which the big boys uh, uh, maybe looking at but it's too small for them and uh, those uh, small niches are big niches I mean if you look at the energy world even small is a billion dollar you know, the big is a trillion dollar so those opportunities are so large and then if you're willing to stick your neck out if you're willing to not dream about uh, making a unicorn valuation in the next two three years and you know you're not glamorized with all of that if you're in the long haul game uh, there is so much work uh, that is to be done and there is so many opportunities, so many problems to be solved. And while you're doing that, there is decent money to be made. Again, I use the word decent because I'm not a software company. So we do not look at margins which are 100 times, 200 times or whatever. We, we are an engineering uh, product and we should look at modest margins. But the opportunity is huge. I mean, I was doing some numbers the other day and I was telling my team that uh, if we decide to own 2% of the market in this country or serve 2% of the market, then we guys need to forget about every vacation for the next four years and we need to work 18 hours a day and we'll still make money. So, you know, so that's the scale of opportunity that exists. So you remain uh, positive and hopeful and that's, uh, that's wonderful to see. The second thing that worries me about hydrogen um, I think um, when you look at the innovation cycle, whether you looked at mobile phones, the wheel, cars, electric vehicles, you go through the early adopters uh, and then you get to this valley of death where a lot of the early startups you know, exit the business and then 
you've got the late majority that comes in. And I worry a bit about the value of death for hydrogen because we track uh, hydrogen projects globally. Um, and what we saw was an in incredible amount of activity in 2019, 2020, uh, 2021 was starting to get soft. 2022 was when everything got delayed. And 23, everyone's talking about, well, let's just wait. Let's wait and we'll make our minds up in 2024. And that worries us. Projects being shelved indefinitely uh, across the world. It's not just India, right? There's lots of announcements in India, but you don't see that translation. But in Europe, there was a translation. You were at the point of purchase order and the projects were then shelved indefinitely. Um, what do you see is happening here? And, you know, how channel us through that hope that you have and what's the what's the light at the end of the tunnel through this i think i'll go on the other side of the tunnel to begin with uh, right now hydro hydrogen is happening on twitter but at some point it will uh, get on the ground and i see that uh, uh, in a few very unique opportunities that we see in india and uh, if you're able to uh, you know go beyond the obvious and then if you're looking at uh, india as as a country and the demography uh, and uh, build uh, certain applications, build certain ecosystems, uh, like what we are trying to do with the microgrids and the mini grids, and into areas where they really matter, we will be able to create a critical mass. Uh, again, even if you look at uh, my business plan, I'm, I'm looking at a very modest organic growth all the way up to uh, financial year 2025-26, and that's when we really go in uh, for the big jump. And uh, this also follows the way the policy is moving. So if you look at the refining industry, which is uh, uh, said to be the lowest hanging fruit, uh, I always say this, it's a funny irony that we are using hydrogen to desulfurize diesel and the whole concept of hydrogen is to replace diesel. So, you know, so I, I don't know where that's going to land. But uh, so that opportunity, I really do not know how much the refining industry may adopt to green hydrogen. Uh, but uh, if you're looking at the fertilizer industry or if you look at uh, the blending of hydrogen with natural gas, these are two areas uh, which really can uh, pick up as on today. And then that uh, opportunity is fairly large. So if you look at uh, smaller projects and if you're looking at modest uh, beginnings, you will not be disappointed. But if you're looking at uh, uh, Ferrari 0 to 160 seconds, uh, this is the wrong place to be. So modest beginnings, um, microgrids is almost a, a modest beginnings. The, the use case for hydrogen, as we discussed, was on one end, there's mobility, there's hydrogen for fuel cell electric vehicles. On the big end of town, there's replacement of furnace gas, whether it's natural gas or any other sorts of gas for steel furnaces or any other big heat requiring manufacturing processes, whether it's chemicals or cement or anything else. But you're talking about microgrids, which is taking villages off grid and allowing them to use localized renewable energy and firming that energy using hydrogen. Um, what is your solution for this? And is there a use case that you can tell our listeners about? Ah, well, we are working on a use case in a village in uh, uh, my home district of Jalgaon. Mm. Uh, it's a small village uh, uh, and, and where we are trying to not only do the energy, we are just trying to uh, work on that entire concept of Gram Swaraj that uh, Gandhiji uh, used to talk about. Uh, which includes uh, sanitation, education, uh, the girl child, and you know, the, the, the whole works. And uh, we are also launching a program there called the Urja Udyami program, where, which is uh, in English translates into energy entrepreneur. Uh, and uh, the program is going to provide a nine month training on all of these net zero technologies, 
entire gambit so that uh, these entrepreneurs will de facto become the energy providers for that particular village and generate at least 20 to 30 green jobs in that village so how will they do it what's the what's the via media so they will uh, then become distributors and installers for companies like ours for various technologies whether it is a solar or fuel cell battery electrolyzer hydrogen you know the, the whole works and they will uh, then uh, be the nodal center for that particular village or that particular region where uh, they are in and and they will also maintain the systems they will also set up uh, small biogas plants uh, through which they'll be able to you know provide and take care of the entire village energy uh, requirements whether it is for mobility or agriculture or even for stationary purposes uh translate this into the scale of opportunity we are looking at 550000 villages in india maybe more i mean my number could be wrong uh and if you're looking at uh, about 20 or 30 uh, kids in every village looking at about a million uh, green jobs uh, getting done each one make one if each one is able to make sure that one village becomes energy independent and net zero the target of achieving net zero by 2070 may get even further we, we we could be able to achieve it earlier so that's on a philosophical side but on a business side you know uh, making money uh, uh, side if you go to the village uh, and if you go to the farmer who often gets uh, electricity for free so you always say that that's bad business to go to a farmer see i belong to a farming family you know we are farmers by profession and and we continue to be farmers so i can tell you from my own experience that a farmer is willing to pay for it if they are able to get 24/7 electricity so i've had cases where farmers are willing to put in high capex and then we are talking about progressive farmers we have an access to about 8 and a half million farmers who are using micro irrigation you know progressive so you know that that represents the new brand of agriculture in this country so this opportunity can really become a fundamental opportunity and if the government of india or governments of the world uh, when you talk about food security if the food security water security and energy security all these three circles concentric circles can be intertwined and if a policy can be worked on that there is a big opportunity and we are not waiting for that policy to happen we are trying to do this in this particular village and and once we are successful we will then keep emulating that you know over and over again so have you already got one test pilot running where you've taken solar or wind and uh, used an electrolyzer to create uh, hydrogen and hydrogen to make electricity to give 24/7 power off off grid at that small scale level we've done it at two levels uh, one i did it in my own uh, lab uh, so we did it uh, for four years starting 2017 uh, all the way up to covid uh, we ran uh, the entire lab on uh, hydrogen that was made from uh, a small solar panel uh, of course the smaller system we used to produce 2 kg per day and used it in a fuel cell and we also used biogas so you know we tried on with two technologies so again the concept is that uh, the city's waste uh, should power city's vehicles so we developed a, a process called charge to go which is a solar uh, fuel cell battery hybrid running on biogas so these are independent uh, stations off grid stations uh, that uh, can be used for charging of electric vehicles you know as a that's a responsibility as an industry sector for us we saw in the electric vehicle industry you know 
let's go back 2020, 2021, when we came together as an industry to ask the question, what's the biggest challenge in the next 12 months? It was educate the banking and finance sector on how to take the risk in funding the growth of the sector. And as an industry, I think we did that. We came together and helped the, the you know, our partners in the banking and finance world to understand it. And I reckon that's what we need to do potentially in the hydrogen world. If I were to link hydrogen and EV, the EV sector, just for a, a, a short instant, You see an incredible vibrancy in the electric vehicle sector with startups. There's lots of startups doing amazing work in India on the battery space, on mobility, on two-wheelers, on three-wheelers, on drivetrains, on software, battery management systems. You don't see that in hydrogen. In hydrogen, it's you and maybe a couple of others, but really it's you. Um, why is that the case? Is that because hydrogen is not yet sexy? or hydrogen is too over the horizon for startups to be excited about what's the why is there such a big gap in the vibrancy of startups participating huh? in the sector it's the entry cost so doing anything in hydrogen uh, if you have uh, you know a fund availability less than a couple of million mm. uh, becomes a non starter and you know, that's where uh, uh, startup companies are uh, no spe- more specifically not uh, very well uh, intertwined into this but at the same time if you look at uh, see i work with a lot of iits uh, in india we work with a lot of uh, uh, academia even in pune we work with couple of uh, universities there is a lot of uh, work that uh, these uh, young kids in you know their third year engineering fourth year engineering lot of projects they are doing and uh, a lot of second level activities so uh, i'm doing a project with one of the iits to produce saf sustainable aviation fuel so you up to syngas you produce from electrolyzer and then you produce saf which is a transformational product for the aviation industry so there there is good amount of work happening if you look at even the software as an industry uh, there a lot of work happening but i think on the electrolyzer space or the material space it is only the big boys or people like us who already have spent a good amount of time uh, are working into the space and you know looking at this but i really hope that a lot of uh, startup companies come into this into the component space see if the uh, you know i want to spell out an opportunity here for whoever is listening we have 390 components that make my bill of material okay each of these component has a potential to be locally made whether it is india whether it is uh, the middle east germany sweden united states wherever if you are able to develop or localize these ecosystem you immediately bring down the cost by 20% without doing anything so you know that is a big 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 opportunity and that's where we will see a lot of startups and a lot of uh, these auto ancillaries you know where we are sitting here this is the auto hub uh, of india a lot of auto ancillaries have the potential to migrate into components um sid um I'm interested what's happening around the world in the world of hydrogen that eventually might happen in India so is there is there some parallels that we can draw between economies and geographies that are 5 10 years ahead of us maybe Europe and America versus what's happening in India I think we uh, courtesy or oh, the Russian and the Ukrainian war uh, the entire hydrogen story has Uh, really become an important story in uh, the european context because they really need to get energy independent on their fuel needs so you know uh, of course countries like norway made a lot of money because of this but but it's a short term story okay uh, so uh, what is happening in germany uh, for instance or even in norway or sweden or uh, uh, finland uh, they are trying to uh, fast forward their net zero goals 
people are talking 2050 or people are talking 2035 and uh, the, the technologies that were once upon a time very expensive in europe and and uh, one of the major uh, problems in europe is what i used to tell you know in the past is that they spend a lot of money there's top dollars available for r&d therefore there is no incentive to reduce cost the incentive was always to make a better product incentive was to make a product which is 100% uh, the best but now that focus has turned on the cost because now they are trying to get the common person involved into the, into the story and this is exactly what is going to come into india and and in india it will come at a much larger scale so if you look at europe uh, the holy grail or the ultimate thing for europe is to have european uh, hydrogen pipeline you produce hydrogen in north africa or spain or wherever and then uh, pump it uh, through the pipes you know that that's the perfect thing if you look at uh, the imec which was announced at the sidelines of g20 again uh it's a similar story that we are talking we are talking about taking a pipe from india to the middle east from middle east uh, up to the far uh, far east and then into europe so you know that also will be one uh, chain that will happen so we are actually uh, running parallelly of course technology wise we are still a little lesser than europe but uh, we are a little higher on the market opportunity side so you know it kind of uh, uh, takes care of uh, each other and with the bilateral relationships that india has developed uh, across the world whether it is united states or with germany or italy france or australia uh, the entire knowledge convergence is going to happen in a very effective manner take example of uh, the covid pandemic uh, what happened uh, the entire world came together because we were dealing with a pandemic 3 months the entire world got closed 5 million people died Uh, 5 million people die every year for climate change not shut down the world even for a second so this opportunity for all of us to come together and with india having all these natural resources that we do and and if india can take that position i would not call it a leadership position but a position of somebody who wants to really work on this uh, uh, we would be able to produce something that i call as the climate change vaccine the earth also needs vaccination just like you and i took those shots uh, so i think this is very much possible and and uh, uh, we all can help each other uh, to ultimately help the next generation and help uh, the climate so what opportunities would there be for indian companies in this global hydrogen economy that is evolving over the next 10 years i see a lot of opportunities uh, a lot is spoken about export of ammonia or export of hydrogen Uh, to uh, europe or uh, to the united states or wherever even to uh, south korea but uh, in the short term i see a lot of opportunities in exporting electrolyzers themselves see the world is going to need uh, three figure gigawatt of electrolyzers the world currently produces one uh, digit single digits so uh, if we are able to produce electrolyzers at a good price point you know that entire china plus story Uh, i really see that as a big potential we as a company are are really looking at about 40 50% of our business coming from export business because we uh, know for sure that we will be able to produce and deliver electrolyzer say germany for example at a price which is at least 10% less than the price that a german manufacturer can produce post the subsidies they get so that we are talking about a good price parity and that is a, a big opportunity and the even bigger opportunities for the component manufacturers 
because all of these European guys, whoever are building uh, electrolyzers there, say the John Cockrells of the world, or Plug Powers, or ITMs, or Nell, they all are going to need components. And then and there is a shortage of components today. There are a few components where you need a 24 to 36 week lead time. It's not because it's expensive, it's because it's not available. So if, if you're able to uh, produce a component at a good quality, uh, I think that there's a market uh, up for grabs. Filled with hope. So the energy transition, the final question, it's a question we ask all talents that come on the show. And I'm sorry for the very frivolous nature of this question, but it brings out a very clear answer. And the question is this, Sid, if you had the opportunity to be Prime Minister of India for one day, just one day, and you could make any decision you wanted to help the transition to clean energy, in your case, hydrogen, um, what would that decision be? Well, just imagining to be the Prime Minister of the country itself is very overwhelming. Uh, couldn't imagine what uh, stress that comes with the job. But but one uh, thing that uh, I, I would really do uh, for energy transition as a subject is introduce energy and net zero as a subject in elementary school. Excellent. Right from kindergarten. Res climate responsibility as a principal subject, net zero ecosystem, and make sure that at least 50,000 engineers are produced in this country every year who will be able to take net zero forward. I think that's the only way we'll be able to achieve these targets. That's a beautiful answer. Siddharth, you're, you're an amazing man on an amazing journey, doing some amazing things. It's always a pleasure talking to you. We look forward pleasure, to pleasure having you smile. back on the show and good luck with your endeavor. Thank you, Ravin. Thank you for having me here. I'm your host for this episode, Ravin Mirchandani. But I would not be here without the amazing Energizing India podcast team. Onkar, our podcast director and the man who makes it all happen in the end, much like a big fat grand Indian wedding, bringing together the research data and attention to details all in the timelines to get the next episode out on time. Three Vikram, our podcast co-host and head of research, and Sunil, who along with me is executive producer of our program. The Energizing India podcast is an Ador Digatron production, giving a voice to the EV industry in India. If you enjoyed listening to us today, make sure to follow us on whatever platform you are listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple iTunes, or our own portal, energizingindia.tv. Thank you very much and see you on the next episode.